Assalamualaikum and salam sejahtera. Welcome to the Putra Rose, where we sit down with industry experts and professionals to discuss current issues relevant to everyday Malaysians. For this episode, we will delve into the issue of online classes and the digital divide. With us is Miss Siti Rahayu Baharin, also known as Cikgu Rahayu, co-founder of Buku Jalanan Chowkit. Cikgu, would you mind introducing yourself? So, Assalamualaikum and hi everyone. My name is Siti Rahayu Baharin. I am one of the co-founder of Buku Jalanan Chowkit. Um, usually, people call me by Cikgu Ayu. I think this is because I've been a teacher in a government school for like 10 years. And then I continued teaching in a private college after that. And then later, I co-founded Buku Jalanan Chowkit. And I've been working um, with Buku Jalanan Chowkit since June 2019. I think that's partly because I can't balance between the two works that I'm running at the same time. Uh, yeah, so I am a Kedahan, a mother, a teacher, and I don't see um, teaching as a career. It's something like, you know, it's a responsibility. Because I believe that um, ensuring that everyone is literate will lead to a better livelihood of the nation. So. I think that is why I took the path of education and sharing education, sharing knowledge to the society. So I think that's all about me. <laughs> I love reading. <laughs> that's that. I think that's a very noble way of saying it. I mean, uh, the education profession is a very big responsibility. And I think those people who carry that responsibility are very, it's a very generous thing that they're doing for the community. And of course, that, that ties in a lot with the topic that we want to talk about today. So going on to my first question, lah, with online classes, online learning, there seems to be increased pressures and demands for students, even teachers and their parents of their students to adapt to this new way of new method of education. But what we need to understand is that this puts so much burden on them in that they have to purchase new equipment, they have to purchase... Uh, some of them don't even actually have access to such equipments in the first place. So what can we as a community do to elevate this burden? Uh, and how can we mobilize the community towards this objective? Yeah, um, I understand that there's a huge disparities when it comes to what the crisis has brought us into because of school closure before this, right? Um, first thing, you know what? For me, right, school closure itself, closing of school itself, is already a problem. Because, like it or not, right, go back to your early life, everyone listening today. Our life, right, we spent eight hours in school. So closing of school, actually robbing children from their life. It's the livelihood of the children. They go to school, they mingle with friends, running around school, learning, meet their teachers. That is half of their livelihood. And it was taken away. So they didn't get to experience that. Therefore, right, whenever that we decided to close school and ran a remote learning, right, we need to really think thoroughly on the pandemic-driven remote schooling that we are planning to have. This brings me to the notion that the government actually, right, first, the government need to have education crisis planning or they need to really be prepared 
the problem with our country, not only in um, I think Ministry of Education, but in every ministry, in every in every single home in our country, we are never prepared for crisis. So our knowledge on crisis preparedness and us being ready to face crisis, right? I think it's only ten percent. So imagine, like last time, right? We were hit by the pandemic for one year, and come another year, we are not even ready for children to continue education. So what happened? Learning loss was everywhere, not only for the B forty children, but every children. I think, right? They are at the edge of becoming the lost generation because we did not cater education during the pandemic very well. Okay, and then right, the, we, we don't even cater to the physical and social emotional need of the student. We're not going to talk about the gadget, you know. Even the physical and emotional needs of the students are not well catered. We don't look into that at all. So, supposedly, right, because, right, when children went to school, right, they are actually have strong relationships with their teachers, with their friends, where they, they always feel welcome when they are in school. They feel accepted, they feel valued, and they get to blend with everyone. So this is what they lost. I, I remember during the school closure, right? So everyone need to go online. So that's the only creative thing that we can come out when it comes to children education. Okay, cannot attend physical school, so we do online. We did not think of project-based learning, how to learn uh, from your environment, uh, from uh, places around you. We, 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 we thought the only things that can be done is technology. Technology comes first when it comes to remote learning. So problem arises where not every children could afford to even have a good working smartphone. Most of the children, yes, they have smartphone, but it doesn't cater to, for example, the teacher goes to uh, Google Meet, Google Classroom. The, the children weren't able to listen because the sound um, from their handphone is not that good. And they're lacking internet data. So what happened is that all through the class, right, it was lagging and lagging. So that's among the things faced by children during the time. And I think, right, because, bef because first thing that I talked just now is that I want the government to be more prepared. And I think the government should be more prepared. But I don't want us to be a society that is too relying on others. I think on, on the society, what we can do actually during this time is that this is a time that we assist. And Islam itself, and I think in a lot of religion, there's this concept of endowment fund or any fund you know that collected by the community in order to help the very basic idea of Bukujalanan is that we have a safe space a sanctuary for children marginalized children in childcare they don't have a proper space for them to study and everything so we come with a solution where the children are free to come around whenever there's a problem that they face or any learning difficulty they can come to the space and then there will be responsible adult assisting them so imagine during this pandemic right if anyone set up like the idea of little 
uh, I forgot the name of the movement. It's I think it's a little library, little library movement. I think you know where people um like a post box they put in front of their house where they put books inside there. So anybody who who pass around they can only they can simply open the box and then grabs any books and read and maybe people can also drop books later inside there to share with everyone but it is never a practice here in our community so during the pandemic right children have nowhere to go in order for them to assess education remember libraries are closed public libraries are closed where supposedly right we can always um, do a scheduling where okay at this time five child five children can come to the library so there will be like physical distancing and everything in order to facilitate learning and to continue learning for the children's right but that doesn't happen we don't even have balai raya um, a, a community centers for children to go in a community i'm not talking about um, a big neighborhood i'm talking about small a neighborhood where you know everybody is assisting all the children around that need to continue education for example let's say in ppr why can't we provide one space for children you know just to go as a resource center in order for them to continue education where there's internet connection there where we have internet booster there so the children can use free wi-fi in order for them to run classes we I asked most of the children, in fact, I just asked one of the child because I brought her to the hospital yesterday, right? I asked her, did you do all the online classes? She said, no. I asked why. She just did not answer. She's 12 years old. She just did not answer. And I asked again, why? Is there any problem? Okay, you can share with me. Because I remember my organization gave the child a tap. So there's no problem with that. And then she was saying that, Achigo, I really didn't know how to go in. And I was like, she attended school. Wow. And I asked her, um, did you sign in for Google Classroom? She said, no. Why? Because I don't know how to do it. So see, it is easy, like, you know, giving them um, solutions. You cannot go to school, so you do online learning okay to do online learning you don't have gadget we have gadget but what about other thing you know to assist them to go there's there's a tedious meticulous process towards children's learning that is not well kept it during this pandemic and i believe right if we assess our children's right now we might be shocked by the results and we don't talk about assessment yet you know we still the uh, spm is um, happening right now and I think for some candidates they finish the paper all the papers already but see we still need to continue assessments like you have to go and sit down um, and answer a few people we are not that creative to revisit or reimagine new way to assessment so yeah I think the crisis did not help us to rethink and re imagine education for the children yet might be through this conversation and various conversations that has been done there will be people in the society there will be people in the authority there will be policy maker there will be um, academics who can do further study on how 
we can relook, reimagined, and revisit our education system in the country. Okay, yeah, Jigu, I think that's a very, very profound point because of how you know when you when you bring up the idea of the lost generation and all that. I think when we speak about that, there's gonna be one thing we we're going, we're definitely gonna be seeing from this lost generation is uh, the widening gap between social classes because you have the divide between the haves and the have-nots and the people who have, they're, well, they're going to be minimally affected by this pandemic, you know, because they can still adapt to online learning. But for those who do not get that, they will obviously be worse off and we will see that sort of impact compounding in probably the next five years when these people take SPM and then we'll see how the national trend for SPM goes, you know, you compare results between urban and rural areas, there's going to be a big difference in the statistics for for these students. And another issue that you also pointed out is how, you know, we need to start having discourses about this. And for us in Putra, that's the approach that we're trying to have, which is why we are hosting sessions like this. So we want to get a ball rolling so that people understand exactly what the issue is talking about and I'm actually very happy that you know society we've seen initiatives by uh, tertiary institutions private sectors and NGOs even uh, politicians going all out to you know give laptops make it more accessible so when we talk about uh, making it accessible what can the government actually do because at the end of the day the government the policymakers are the people who have the resources and administrative power to change this what can they actually do in order to fix this issue? What sort of revamps do, we, uh, do you see needing to happen on the side of public administration? I think, right, we really need to be more creative, more brave, and more, um, how, how to say that, more ready to accept new things on the way we learn. The idea that this pandemic brought was that education can be from everywhere. People can learn from everywhere that they are in. I do understand the needs of students to attend. For example, this is for uh, university students, right? I know they need to attend few classes, attend lectures and everything. But I don't think now they need to attend everyday lecture. Might be we can in university, we know that um, what we do is that wake up in the morning, go to the class, listening to the lecture, go back and then hang around in the cafe or try to finish our assignment and then go to the library to study and go back to the room. It's continuous. So every day is like that. I think that is too simple for university students. That is why, right, we can see that whenever they jumped into taking responsibility, for example, they are married and then later they're working while marrying, while having a married, mar married life and then having child, things get too much because while you're studying, you only do that. Our universities, not only our university, I think universities around did not have much project-based learning. I think it's good for students to, while they are studying, they, they are more hands-on. They can be more creative. They can do two, three things at the same time while learning. And learning should not be confined only to lecture hall. I really wish somebody in Ministry of Higher Education can come out with a new form of learning 
free universities and colleges. It's proven you don't need to be there 24 hours to continue the traditional methods of learning. New methods of learning need to come. I, I think, right, we need to do something that nudge and push changes. Something that knock on the door of changes that say, hey, let's, let us try this. All this the while, all of our university students are at their home and then they can perform, they can do this. And while they're at home, right, I, I really wish to hear, you know, stories like university students who are learning from home uh, while they are actually um, attending all their lectures online. They are also creating an initiative, uh, teaching children in their neighborhood during pandemics. But I did not hear any, while I believe there are a lot who do that in their neighborhood, right? But see, stories like that are stories that we did not hear about. So it doesn't inspire changes much. Because we don't know that, oh, it's happened, people are doing that. You know, supposedly, right, students who, uh, graduates, right, they can replace the role of the teachers during the pandemic while everybody are confiscated at their their own respective neighborhood. That is something that actually can nudge the head of all policy education policymaker to look at oh actually graduates a university graduates can do much. They actually can help build the community. So that, right, later, whenever that people talks about community capacity buildings, right, things that people in social studies always talk about, community capacity building, it's actually uh, uh, embedded in our society way, way before. We, we as a society, I, I think Malaysians, right, make it Malay, Chinese, or Indian, we are a community-centric society. And our learning have been centered around that. But during this pandemic, we are really not looking bad at how our society has been formed before. What we know, this is the way education should be, and this is how we should follow. We, we are not that creative in reimagining, oh, education can be like this. So I really hope people at the policy stage, right, look at the experience of the local look at the experience of uh, look at, at the cultural experience site look at the community experience themselves design our learning based on locality based on our culture based on our community then right we can see that the shaping of education can embark something new can create a much more critical uh, graduates that or even school student who can think critically. It's very important. I think that's what we're missing in our education. Like even during the pandemic, right? What we heard about education is that so teacher need to teach, uh, so teacher uh, give homework and then student do homework. Students send back homework to children, teachers. Teachers mark the homework, give back to students. So that's that. Uh, we don't have something like, okay, students run project and then from that project, uh, something happened. There's, I did not really hear projects like, um, 
okay student in that community they're doing project on helping elderlies coping with pandemics and then they presented that or they talk about that that's why right look at the way um our interaction in social media so we only talks about menial things in social media we don't talk about something that's really inspiring that's really uh, you know an eye opener like oh benda ni boleh buat lah in our society oh this is doable lah let's do this kita tak ada tau we don't have something that would oh boost other people moral boost other people motivation or inspire others ah ini dia punya cara belajar our cara belajar the way that we learn is still the traditional way of learn cikgu kat depan and then students are listening and then habis the lecture student buat homework buat revision and the end of the semester students sit for exams so that's that even this pandemic can help us realize that changes are really needed in in the education system therefore right it can helps to at least um changes that might reduce the gaps of the urban and the rural changes through education that can help reduce the gap of the poor and the rich what i am seeing right now is the widening on both yeah like you said you were saying mohsin i don't think i'm ready to see the percentage of the results between the rural and the urban school this aspect i really i'm really not ready for that it would be I, I don't know. I'm just saying that I'm not ready. Yeah. I think one, I wouldn't say a good thing. Lah. I think like, I would say uh, one positive from the pandemic would be how it, ha- it has accelerated our adoption of digital technology. So now it shows that it's actually possible for us to be learning online. But then again, you know, you have all these shortcomings because students don't have, some students don't have access to them. But then again, you know, if it is possible to do this, why are we not making that leap to make, as you said, make um, education more creative, give a new approach to education now that we know that, you know, the traditional method can be changed, can be adopted, right? But I think we've said enough about that. I think you already shared a lot, which gives our audience a lot a lot to think about speaking about more on NGO efforts and you know initiatives like what I mentioned before could you share some examples of how such efforts actually help students you know how uh, their ability to handle uh, education in this pandemic improved by the efforts given by NGOs by institutions by uh, politicians as well you know um buku jalanan right it's a learning process to us as well during the pandemic it's really a learning process we do a lot of trials and error but i think we are lucky enough to have partners in educations all of our, all of our education projects and i am so lucky to have my teams um, who are very young my teachers are very young they are in their 20s most of them right so they are much more adaptive to technology and they are more i think creative and if it's i mean if i were to run the school during the pandemic all the online learning right i think my children would be bored as well me myself would think it it's not possible so you know during the pandemic during the first school clo- closure right 
I was really amazed by these uh, partnerships that we have with um, Arus Academy. So what we do is that we run this pilot project and I, I was I was really happy to say that this pilot project really works. Imagine my stateless children and my marginalized children, right? Or the one who makes sure that the pilot, uh, the pilot project is successful and later, right, it was being used by all children in Malaysia. I think that's quite an achievement for my children and also a proof that see every children's right, if you give them the right tools, the right platform to education, they might surprise you with a very surprising innovation. So during this pandemic, right, what NGO have been doing, I think a lot of us is trying to innovate new learning. We have this project called Suara Generasi COVID so we communicate with uh, children through WhatsApp groups, asking them um, questions through that and then they need to do. That project is for the children uh, to tap on four major subjects, mathematics, science, English, and I forgot one, I think history. Uh, what is the history of the pandemic, where it come from? So the students go and do all the research and then they talk about it through voice note and then they have to uh, draw things draw um, I remember seeing them doing the graph and chart on how it affected people what they see around them you know stuff like that and then the children document it themselves um, by making a video of them talking about the pandemic and this is done by my stateless children who just attended school for two years it's also done through a WhatsApp and Discord. And I think that's pretty amazing. And then we have this class called Eyes That Speak. So students use their um, phone to capture picture based on the conversation we have in the WhatsApp group. I was really happy to see how the curator curate um, the questions every day for the children what they ask simple questions like okay you guys are in your room right so what do you see outside of your window so you know children stand to take picture of the tree and then the sky and then they were explaining what what are the important elements the sky or the picture have have given them so this kind of conversations right help to soothe um, children's like in the beginning i was talking about um, we did not cater to the emotional needs of the students right so this is what we have done during the pandemic just continuing educations through conversations and tapping on the idea that um, this is helping the emotional needs and emotional growth of the children so that's what we've been doing and bukujalanan right and I think most of NGO is doing this also. We are NGO that focus on educations. Um, so what we do is assist the children only. But this pandemic has proven that in order for us to continue the education of the children, we really need to assist the family as well. This pandemic has shown us that there are some family who can't even put food on the table. And it's a... And it is not a joke. We thought that ishtakal orang sampai tak mampu nak sediakan makanan. It is true. It is reality. It's real. It's happening. You know what happened to the to my family in Chowkit, right? 
they are all of the family members the breadwinners especially right they are working they work in the economic sectors that pay daily wages so imagine when restaurants are closed mothers who works as waitress uh, cleaners right they can't go to work not going to work meaning to say that you're not being paid it is not like us yeah we're working from home and uh, we are still being paid they're not um they can't work in the market anymore because uh in the market in pasar chokit right now there's a new ruling only uh, the one with work permit can work there so most of them are with a lot of documentation trouble themselves so they can work putting food on the table was really a problem so we decided that we need to help them to put the food on the table at least for the child in order for the child to continue learning you can't even function with empty stomach right we ourselves can imagine children so what we do is that we provide them with grocery basket every two weeks we assist the family and it really works wonders it continue the learning process of our children uh, and here right it proved to me and the whole team that everything in life move organically and systematically things need to sync you don't have food you don't have work you don't have work you don't have food you don't have food you can't survive you cannot continue your livelihood and definitely you cannot learn when you cannot learn you will be going deeper down into the hole of illiteracy and when that happen you continue the vicious cycle of poverty what more that we do is that uh, we lend all of our children's laptops that we have in Bukujalan and Chowkit so they were able to bring that home and we provided also with internet dongle for the children you know we also have the same idea like what if the parents sell the laptop what if the children misuse the internet data you know but that's the beauty of learning the first week yes when they went to the classes right it the internet was lagging the internet was slow so we asked them to reflect on themselves why is that happen we asked them to think what had they been doing using the internet until it gets slower so during the times that they really need to use it like for classes they can't use it so it helps children to think you know to prioritize if i get this how am i going to use this in order to help myself so we're building the narrative of responsible and children who values things and that's done by educations of value and educations of empathy you know and i think what's most ngo experience right during this pandemic and this crisis is that we see the importance of public private partnership it's very important and this pandemic we receive a lot of um, invites from the private owners the company asking okay what are the things that we can have what are the things that we can do that is so beautiful remember the class that we do with iris academy right i think is it was funded by honlyong bank and we have grocery assistant funded by but a lot of organizations in fact vance international the shoe company right they come in and ask what are the things that they can do in order to help the children 
and in order to cater to the emotional sides of being under the pressure of the pandemic. So this is among the new experience society are opening up, um, private partnerships are getting uh, more and more involved. And I think a lot of NGO ourselves, right, or charity NGO, charity organizations or organizations that work with society get more creative, we learn more, we are more innovative, like we, op- we are open to learn a new thing. So we're learning as well. Um, this is a good side of the pandemic. Like it, it, it brought us to new learning experiences. Yeah, Cikgu, I think it's a very interesting point when you mentioned about not it's not just the students who are facing difficulties, it's also their parents who need to adapt to all of this. You know, I mean, some of them are already affected economically because they can't work, like what you mentioned before. And speaking on this matter, when we know that it's not just students, it's their parents, it's their families who have such problems uh, when it comes to the pandemic in general, what is the best approach for us going forward to help this kind of issues in society? I think the best way forward is that we need to design our education system so that right, we can build a resilient system. Right now, our education system is not resilient. We are very vulnerable to a lot of threats that can say that education cannot continue during this period or education cannot continue when these types of crisis hit us. So we need to design a much more resilient, resilient must be built into our educational system. That is the most important thing, I think. I think, Cikgu, what you mentioned about how how your team has managed to make it more innovative for them, you know, include making classes, online classes more inclusive to all these children and how that has an impact on their emotional and mental health, you know, I think that's a very good way of saying it, you know. Now we know that the pandemic has impacted them in such ways, we should really be looking into this. Since we're running short of time, I'm going to skip to the last question for people looking to help out those in need and wanting to contribute to NGOs, maybe some of them don't have the financials, financial status, financial ability to actually help out. But regardless, what can these people do to actually contribute to efforts from your NGO, for example? What can people do to be involved and contribute financially or not, you know, just so that they can lend a hand and is the burden of people facing such difficulty in this tough time. Mohsin, I really like the idea of kita jaga kita during the pandemic, right? So, um, this happened in, in big companies as well, where they have um, what, what we call Department of CSR. You know, they have expertise thinking of what CSR's project should they do. So, they will end up spending a lot of money in order to do CSR that is only one-off, that doesn't leave any footprint to the society or community that they have. Because you were saying about what if the people didn't have any financial capabilities to help us, right? That is actually not needed, seriously. What I really encourage everyone, right, is to look around our neighborhood, you know, to look at the person next to us, to, to, to go around and check whether there's children around us that needs help. Try to help people within our reach first. Um, within our, our community and it helps right it's not always financially helps can be in 
a lot of forms actually we all of us right are being blessed i think with skills with with something that that we are very good at even though we're not good at that right but i know we have some special things that we can assist others on doing you know simple simple stuff just try for example right if you living in kampung um i live in kampung for six weeks during the pandemic because i went back to visit my my mother and pkp happened i cannot cross states so i have to stay back in kampung which i was really blessed with i think at that time i i've never spent longer time with my parents after my university years because i was always in kuala lumpur and they are in kedah so that was a blessing for me being stuck in kedah so i was observing how orang kampung do things you know in the morning there will be friends of my parents who come and share kangkong and there's this one time my, because my mother was under treatment of cancer so she needs to uh, someone say that uh, it is good to eat something like uh, you boil something i didn't remember what kind of thing was that boil that and i was like where can i get that you know the next morning right somebody send it so that is how people in kampung are very they, they really know the needs of others they they learn and they study the needs of others and my daughter i think it was a very pleasant um stay for her as well she's always a city girl uh, being stuck uh during the pandemic meaning that she's always in her room with her friend virtually right but when she was in kampung i know for once she can live can be apart from her handphone she did not care where where about her handphone when she was at kampung because right she was so busy doing all the food delivery for the elders in our kampung there's a lot of elders who stay alone so we cook because my mother said that since you're home and you're not doing anything uh, can you cook so i cook extra and my daughter do all the delivery she even learned how to ride a bicycle when she was in kampung during our six-way stay so she can use the bicycle to go around kampung and give see we don't need much actually you just need to go observe and look for any problem faced by people around you and try to bring the solutions but when you are thinking of finding the solution don't kill yourself don't kill your happiness don't kill your pockets or don't don't empty your pockets just because you thought that you want to help remember self-care is very important you need to look after yourself first in order for you to always continue serving others and serving the community and i always think that helps and in building community it's not only financial if you have financial capacity by all means do it yes people need money and financial helps in order for especially for non-profits like us to survive yes but if you have skills right i really really grateful for that because right uh, i oh this is another story from our chocolate community there's this three uh, photographers who didn't very good at photography they we so we give our children disposable camera and they assist our children in learning uh, in teaching the children how to take good photo and from that photo right 
um, the children, they discuss with the children what is uh, the, the idea behind the children taking that photo. And we brought in counsellors later to discuss with the children the photo that they took. Uh, that is uh, under photo therapy sessions with the children. And I have a friend from Japan that I met uh, during my last um, time in Japan um, under Japan Foundation Project. Uh, so she's a dance therapist. Imagine there is this pandemic. She danced with my children in Chowkit and she was in Fukuoka. They dance virtually on how to appreciate your body more. So things can be done in a lot of ways. Helps can be delivered. Helps can be given in a lot of ways. If you don't have money, you can help with skill. If you don't have much skill, you can help with your energy. If you want to help, by all means, you will find ways to do it. So that is why right each and every day, train ourselves to be more empathetic, to be more kind to our own self and to everyone around us. By that, right, we will be able to innovatively and creatively think how to submit back to the society inshallah all right thank you cikgu for the very insightful words actually so i think that is the end of our episode for this time round thank you cikgu ayu again for this wonderful uh, session join us again next time on another installment of the putra rose thank you for listening and stay safe <laughs>